0: Shooter, a terrorist. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll, a psychiatrist, and you are a terrorist therapist. Well, we have a sort of unusual uh alleged terrorist today. His name is Ethan Crumbly, And you probably have heard about him. He is the fifteen year old who was um who was the latest school shooter, and it was actually the most uh, horrendous school shooting since 2018, the Parkland, Florida school shooting by Nicholas Cruz. He killed four people, four students, and um, there are other students who were wounded and, and a teacher who was wounded as well. So let me first give you a little bit of an outline of what happened, and then I will explain about the terrorism part um, and get more into the story, because his story is just so fascinating. I could talk to you for two hours, but I know (laughs) you don't worry. I'm not. I'm going to pick the highlights, Uh, but what makes it so interesting? I mean, of course, it's devastating. It's terrible. It's so tragic. And, you know, all my my um, wishes go out to the families and to the other students and so on. Um, So this um, this story began on Friday, November 26th. That was Black Friday. And on that day. Ethan Crumbly's father, James Crumbly, bought a semi-automatic pistol for him, for for the boy, for his son, Ethan, and um, he took Ethan with him to the um, store where he, where he bought the gun, and you know which kind of tells you a lot just in that short little description, because in Michigan where this happened. Um, People uh, people who are underage, minors, aren't allowed to possess guns. So by the father not only buying him a gun, but taking him to the gun store to buy the gun, it gives you an insight into the father. And both the father and the mother are sociopaths. You'll hear more about that in a bit. Um, and so, you know, because he's, what he's showing him when he took him to the store was that he's flouting the law. You know, he knew what the law was, at least the father did, and presumably the son did as well. And he's showing the son that it's okay to not obey the law. Um, Then Ethan posted a photo on social media, and he wrote, just got my new beauty today. Um, And he's talking about the gun. And he has a picture of the gun. And he put a heart emoji. I mean, so that is a warning, one of the first warning signs. He actually posted a number of things online that were warning signs. Um, so then, so that was the Friday, November 26th. Then the day before the shooting, uh, November 29th, he, a teacher of his, at Oxford High School in Michigan, uh, saw that Ethan was searching through his cell phone for ammunition in school. And the teacher reported this to the school officials and the school left Ethan's mother, Jennifer, a, a voicemail. She didn't answer. Then they um, sent an email to the parents. They didn't answer. Then later, the mother sent a text to her son, so which showed that she obviously got the text from the school and/or got text from him regarding this. She sent a text to her son saying, "LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught." <laughs> Sociopathic at its core. Um, Then the next day, November 30th, that is the day of the shooting, and a teacher finds an alarming note that Ethan had written. She came across a note, she took a picture of it, fortunately, that was really quick thinking, um, because in fact afterwards the note was changed. Um, Ethan, presumably, he crossed out parts of the note. He didn't want people to see it, but what it was was A drawing of a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, the thoughts won't stop, help me. And it had a drawing of a bullet with blood everywhere written above it. Blood everywhere was written above the drawing of the bullet. And then between the drawing of the gun and the bullet is a drawing of a person who appears to have been shot twice and bleeding. And then below that, there's a laughing emoji. And he also, also in his note, he wrote, my life is useless. The world is dead. And it's really kind of um, interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, kids these days with the pandemic who have been kept in lockdown and kept away from school and, um, you know, not really able to know that there is going to be life after COVID, um are feeling that way the world is dead that there is not going to be a world after that and then but also uh my life is useless the world is dead that also relates to his parent what his parents feel and i'll i'll explain that later um so his parents were come to were ordered to come to school that day the morning of the shooting you have to keep the timeline in mind because it's just horrific when you think about it Um, and they were told the school told them that they have to get counseling for their son within 48 hours or else the school would contact child protective services so clearly the school realized there was a problem in that home and there was a problem with this student who was um, basically suicidal and also potentially homicidal you know the drawing was of uh, him sh- this gun shooting somebody and um when the parents came to school they didn't ask where his where the gun was they didn't look in his backpack um they and they wouldn't take him home the school wanted the parents to take Ethan home because this was you know this was very um uh This was a a severe warning sign. You know, these were very worrisome, shall we say, items and information that they uh, had already come up with in these two days. But the parents wouldn't take him home. And the school, this is where the school messed up as well, they um, just put him back in class. And then shortly after 1 p.m., Um, On school surveillance cameras, they see Ethan with a backpack, and then he goes into the bathroom, and then a minute later, he comes out of the bathroom without the backpack and with a gun in his hand, and he starts firing the gun outside the bathroom and going down the hallway at what's described as a methodical pace, shooting uh, at the students. And you know it, he was observed to be shooting them at very close range, like in the head, which is kind of what you learn how to do on violent video games. And um, his um, and he, there's, he has an older half brother, and his half older half brother talked about how Ethan played um, video violent video games like Fortnite after when he would come home from school. So, um, so uh, at 122, um, so after the shooting had already begun for like about 20 minutes or so, uh, Ethan's mother texted him, Ethan, don't do it. Now, we don't know yet whether she had gotten a text from him right before he started shooting saying, I'm shooting, or whether she had already heard on the news. That there was this shooting at the school. Um, But in any case, uh, a little late, she was saying, Ethan, don't do it. Uh, By that point, four students had already been fatally wounded. Then at 137, the father, James Crumbly, called 911, uh, saying that a gun was missing from his house and he believed his son may be the shooter. His father had stored the gun in an unlocked drawer in the parents' bedroom. So, um, now before I get into um, a little bit more about the shooting and about the parents and so on, and how Ethan got to be that way, um, let me just tell you a little bit about how this relates to terrorism. Um first of all he is being Ethan the son is being charged with um the following charges which mean that he could face a possible life sentence life without parole he's being charged as an adult and he's being charged with one count of terrorism causing death four counts of first degree murder seven counts of assault with intent to murder and twelve counts of possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony now he it is also they have decided the prosecutor has decided that um and this is part of why they're charging him as an adult that it was not an impulsive uh act <laughs> it was premeditated and um that's because they found things they found a um a journal. Uh, In his backpack that described how he was going to what he how he wanted to um, create this rampage and shoot his kids, the the kids in his school. Um, And there was also he also had recorded the night before a video on giving his plans of what he was going to do, killing his schoolmates. So clearly this was not uh, he didn't wake up one day. That day, November 30th and think, huh, I think I'll go murder my schoolmates. Clearly he had been thinking about it for a long time and then his father literally put the gun in his hand. Now, um, terrorism, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to stop here, but when I, when we come back, I'm going to explain why it's, it's not typical that terrorism, um, that In cases like this, people are charged with terrorism, but um, this is a a special case and and there are reasons why this is happening. So I'll explain that and then I'll go into the stories about about, uh, more into the psychology, the family dynamics of Ethan's family, which are very sick. (laughs) I can give you a, a spoiler alert. His family is very sick. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Michigan school shooter, a terrorist. And now I'm going to talk to you more about why um, he is being charged with terrorism. Um, First of all, they're talking about domestic terrorism. And there is no federal statute against domestic terrorism. It is really up to states um, whether they call mass shootings terrorism. So uh, Michigan, where this happened, does happen to have uh, an anti-terrorism laws on the books that are broad enough to potentially cover mass shootings and call them terrorism on a state level, not a federal level. Now, the prosecutor, who is really excellent, I watched the arraignment of the parents. Um, yes, let me just put in here, the parents, these sociopaths, um, not only did they do these horrible, not only did they turn their son into a sociopath, but after he was arrested, Um, And there was wind of the parents being arrested and charged in this. The parents ran away. They fled. And um, their lawyer, so there was an arraignment because finally the parents were found. Um, And although their lawyers tried to, tried to say that, Oh, they never fled. um, We were in touch with them. In fact, the parents had turned off their cell phones and stopped answering the phone calls and the text messages of their of their own lawyers. I mean they didn't want to be found like if, if their cell phone was on they, their the cell towers could have been pinged and the authorities could have found them. So anyhow but they were finally found because um, they were found they were hiding in the basement of a commercial building and someone apparently gave them the key to that building who uh, has been found. But so far, his that person's name hasn't been released in the media. But in any case, uh so they found the parents and they brought them to an arraignment. And I watched the arraignment and this prosecutor, the Oakland County prosecutor, Karen McDonald, um, who did a very good job. And she got the judge to put a $500,000 bond on each of the parents. So the parents are in jail now hopefully no one will um for whatever crazy reason no one will pay uh the 500,000 bond dollar bond for either of them and so they will stay in jail they were caught very close to the canadian border and um it's not clear why they they were like um half i don't know different descriptions half a mile or very very, very close so it's not clear why they didn't try to go over the border um Maybe they were afraid that uh, their names and their pictures were well they did they were missing there were wanted posters out for them, so perhaps they were afraid that the people at the border would recognize them from these wanted posters in any case um the parents are now in jail um uh, so getting back so this so, so my point is that the prosecutor did a really good job because the two lawyers that are the defense lawyers for the parents. Um, wanted them to have a 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollar bond and, you know, they could well have found somebody to post that or they could have posted it. In any case, getting back to terrorism. Um, so this prosecutor said that when her team sat down to talk about the charges that they were going to charge Ethan with the shooter. Um, they, she said a question lingered. What about all these other children? Quote, what about all the children who ran, screaming, hiding under desks? What about all the children at home right now who can't eat and can't sleep and can't imagine a world where they could ever set foot back in that school? Those are victims, too, and so are their families, and so is the community. And the charges of terrorism reflects that. Okay. Now, I'll just add that in some states, the definition of terrorism is closer to what we think of with international Islamic terrorism, um, and some are written more broadly, like the law in Michigan. Okay, now, let me tell you all the crazy stuff in there, his family. Uh, if If you've wondered what kind of parents could put a gun in their son's hand, put up congratulatory posts on social media and laugh about his being caught searching for ammunition, you found out what kind of parents they were if you watched their arraignment, which by the way, you can still find on the internet. Um, it became clear during the arraignment that they, the parents, were planning on throwing their son under the bus because one of the big issues is access to the gun. And. um, And so the parents, I I see it coming, the parents, they're they're going to try to say that um, they didn't give the son access, that I don't know, I don't know what they're going to come up with, with how (laughs) they locked it up and and somehow he got I don't know, you know, I I, clearly the prosecutor knows that it was unlocked, but something we're going to hear all kinds of stuff where the parents are going to blame the son. And now, what kind of parents would blame their child, who it could be, who could, who could, who could go? It really obsesses me a lot that there are parents like this who could go to jail for life. Their son could go to jail for life without the possibility of parole, and yet these parents, who fled, <laughs> uh, tried to flee, um, are blaming the son. So, in other words, they are trying to save their own necks at the expense of their son, even if this means their son will never get out of jail, even if it's them who made him this way. Um, By the way, a fun fact, um, this is all happening in the Oakland County Courthouse in Michigan, which is the same courthouse that I testified in as an expert witness, a defense uh, expert witness, as a psychiatrist, forensic psychiatrist, for Jonathan Schmidt in the Jenny Jones talk show murder trial some years ago. That was my first high profile trial. And so I when I see these pictures of uh the courthouse and the jail, well of course I spent countless hours in the jail talking with John, uh preparing uh you know, examining him to find out about his psychology before um he shot Scott Amador, you'll have to look all that up. <laughs> Had to do with the talk show where they ambushed John, who is not a hate crime, he is not homophobic, which I have to look it up. I am writing a book about this, by the way. It's coming, coming, taking a while to come together, but um I have written most of it. In any case, moving on, <laughs> moving on, let me tell you about their, his parents and uh, how they created a terrorist, right? Okay, so Jennifer and James Crumbly, the parents. These parents are very angry at the world because of their inability to achieve success economically and otherwise. Um, They have criminal histories, including driving under the influence and writing bad checks. The sign of a sociopath, one of the signs of a sociopath is when you have a criminal history, especially starting back. This didn't just happen. This started a while ago for both of them. So, um, as I said, they are sociopaths who feel entitled to flout the laws of society, and they raised Ethan to become one. They may be alcoholics, which could explain in part their spotty job histories. You know there are so many different descriptions of places and jobs uh, the places that they worked and jobs that they worked um but I can tell you that um, that the father has been fired at least once um he's had periods of unemployment, both of them have had as a spotty job histories they've had relatively low level jobs um Except the father may have had a higher-level job at one point, but then he lost it. Um, And for for several years, the father worked as a telemarketer from home. So that's not exactly um, that's not exactly a (laughs) go-getter or a prestigious job. And I'm sorry to all of you who are listening to this who are telemarketers, but you know you do it only. Only as a temporary kind of thing when you can't find a job that you want. Um, now, supposedly, the father may have had health problems. He may have had a stroke, and he may have had a broken back at one time. This is what the mother wrote on social media. She wrote that she only makes $40,000 and that um, a year, and that uh, the father can't work because of his health problems. And she wrote that they didn't have enough money to get a tutor for Ethan. And so obviously they wouldn't have had enough money to pay for the mental health treatment that the school insisted upon that they get within 48 hours, or they would report them to CPS. Now, clearly the parents, <laughs> does not do, they do not want CPS checking up on them, because I think if they came to their house... Besides finding a gun in an unlocked drawer, oh, and there were lots of other guns, by the way. Um, this gun is was in an unlocked drawer, but when the police came to the house, they found all these other guns um, also unlocked. I mean, they were big guns, long guns. Um, and And so, you know, so um I don't know he theoretically could have taken one of the other guns as well. But anyhow, um, so, and also they may well have found signs of the parents being alcoholics. So they did not want um, CPS nosing around their home. Now, when I, um, when I come back, when we come back, stay tuned, I will tell you more about the psychodynamics of the family. And, uh, the interesting uh, interview that the ex-girlfriend of the father gave, which sheds further light on they are, they are not on the father, at least at all. And also the mother, she does talk about the mother, uh, not being upstanding members of society. So I think it's pretty unanimous. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Michigan school shooter, a terrorist. That is in fact what he has been charged with. And according to Michigan law, he could well fit that charge, meet that charge. Um, I want to go now into how Ethan Crumbley fits the profile of the typical school shooter. We see this time and time again and yet the people who could stop him um don't end up not stopping him now of course oh and i want to make sure that i mention this um before i before i get into the profile um i want to mention one thing not only is it the parents who um who are p- primarily to blame for turning him into a terrorist or a school shooter um, but in terms of missing the warning signs, the school is to blame as well. And it's so, it's so sad, um, but both the parents, I mentioned how the parents are, are trying, are throwing the sun under the bus to help themselves. The school is trying to, uh, scurry out of this as well. So the parents and the school are like cockroaches. When you turn the light on and the cockroaches scurry all around, they are scurrying to try to avoid blame. Now, what could the school have done differently? How could the school have prevented it? They could have prevented it too. And there, there are going to be lawsuits upon lawsuits, um, not only against the parents. Parents don't have any money, so good luck to the people who sue them. But, and I don't even know. And it's funny, in one of uh, the mother's social posts, um, when she was talking about only making forty thousand dollars and not being able to afford a tutor um and having to go without car insurance, so somehow, I doubt that the parents have insurance that would cover <laughs> their son being a school shooter, but in any case, certainly the school has insurance and um and the school what did the school do wrong well, um the first day when they saw that he was looking through his phone. Trying to find ammunition, uh, and they tried to reach the parents, and they couldn't reach the parents. Um, they should have done more. They should have perhaps held him at school and, until the parents came to get him, so that they could tell them um, tell them what they told them the second day. But but if they would have let him return to class, um, it would have happened anyway. What the par- what the school should have done if they didn't do it more on the first day when they saw him looking for ammunition they you know googling for ammunition they certainly should have um after they found that drawing with his cry for help and his picture he like you know the, did he have to draw them a picture he did draw them a picture of what he was planning to do and yet when the parents came and they didn't want to take him home because they wanted to go to work they didn't want to be bothered with him right or they and they didn't want to they didn't want to believe that there was anything wrong with what he was doing, right? Uh, they didn't take it seriously. Obviously, they didn't ask what was in his backpack. And, yes, it is almost as though um, they were purposely setting him up. And I'll get more into that. But, I mean, what, this, what the school should have done on that second day, the, the morning of the, of the crime, the morning of the shooting, what they should have done if the parents just left, the school should have called nine one one. And should have either uh, given him to the police and or um, had the p- police bring him to a, an emergency room to hospitalize him um, for danger to self and danger to others. Now, apparently there were school counselors there on both days um, after the ammunition search. And on the day, the morning of the shooting with the picture and these counselors who should be fired right away and whose licenses should be taken away because they're idiots. Um, They supposedly like asked questions, whether to, to decide to see whether he was a danger to self or others. And they were satisfied that he wasn't. Well, you know, how long did they spend asking questions? And did they ask them with the parents? You know, in front of the parents, That's what it, se- it seems like they asked him this with the parents there. So would, the, would Ethan have told them the truth if, it's, if it wasn't in front of his parents? Would he have, you know, confessed, yes, indeed, I am thinking of killing myself and killing other kids? In any case, they misjudged the whole thing. They didn't call 911. They just sent him back to class, and then this is what happened. Okay, so uh, that's in terms of fitting the profile of the typical school shooter. He has all the um, critical points. He was a sad, lonely child. Um, I know that from from the description of his past brother, who actually described him as, you know, who was shocked that, this, that he did this, and who said he was just an average kid, a normal kid, um, you know, um he but then he he said he he used to play sports um in junior and middle school, but then he didn't in high school. so isn't that a warning sign? Why isn't he playing sports in high school? Is he depressed? Um, does he feel left out isolated from the other kids? Um, what's going on? Do his parents not want him to um, be out of the house? They want him to be home all the time. Anyway, this half-brother described them as taking the school bus together, coming home, and just playing video games. Some no, he said also, sometimes they went in the backyard and played basketball. So basically, he was describing a very sad and lonely life. And, oh, the key thing is this half-brother went home to his mother, because he didn't get along with um Ethan's mother the um the half brother was from the father James Crumbly, and from a woman who was um has been described both as a girlfriend and as an ex-wife so that's not clear but in any case so she, he left this this woman this mother of the half brother in Florida and he went to uh, Michigan and married Jennifer <laughs> Not, no big prize there. Anyhow, so he so getting back to Ethan. So he was sad and lonely. He was abused or neglected by his parents. Certainly neglected and possibly abused. He had learning problems. That's from the mother saying that she he she couldn't buy him get him a tutor. He had mental health problems, which are obvious from his desperate notes, um, including he wrote a note saying the thoughts won't stop. Help me. You remember. Uh now those those thoughts could either be an indication of obsessive compulsive disorder or it could be a sign of hallucinations hearing voices command hallucinations um which would be could be a sign of schizophrenia beginning then also um he has it seems unlikely that he has had any psychiatric treatment or if he has had, it would be insufficient treatment, and that is a typical sign of a school shooter. Sometimes they have had um, some kind of mental health treatment, but usually they are, fall through the cracks. That's like Nicholas Cruz. He's a great example of that. He had some treatment, but then he fell through the cracks, and the treatment really wasn't good at any time. They didn't realize just how sick he was. Seriously, mentally ill he was. Um then ethan had an obsession with violent video games and he told the school when they found um the his pictures um or his his yeah i think primarily it was the it was the picture uh or or maybe it was when they looked at his um his notebook and they saw his plans he said that it was um an outline or a description of a video game he was, uh, going to create. And he said he wanted to become a video game creator, which tells you the impact of his obsession with hours of violent video games. And then access to guns and then bullying. Now it's, I believe that he was bullied. Uh, the school has tried to say that he wasn't bullied because they're protecting themselves, but, um, but there have been some kids who have said that he was bullied and clearly they saw him being bullied. And, um, and you know, the fact that the school is trying to deny it just means this is another example of them trying to protect themselves. Now, how did the family cause this to happen? Um, the most likely explanation, well, well one explanation that maybe their defense attorneys are going to use. This hasn't been reported as in, in the media anywhere, but it's possible that the family is going to say, the parents are going to say that they were trying to protect Ethan from um, the horrible world that he lived in at school where he was bullied. In other words, they could well have identified with him because they feel that the world is against them. You know, they were never able to make a success of themselves and they were feeling angry and entitled to more. And um, so just like they feel that the world is against them, uh, they could have bought him a gun to protect himself from these bullies, which could also be a factor in how both of them knew right away upon hearing reports of the school shooting that Ethan had, in fact, gotten revenge against the kids. You know, that he was acting out... Um, what they had armed him for, but I I don't really, that's kind of, that's being kinder to the parents than I think they deserve. Um, Really, I think what the better or the, the better explanation or the more important explanation is that um, it's more likely that his parents simply transmitted their sociopathic ways of being in the world to him. Not not that they were trying to protect him from bullies or for him to protect himself against bullies, but and, and I'm not saying that they literally told him to shoot up his school, but throughout his childhood he would have seen how angry they were at the world, how unfair they thought the world was, and how you're entitled to do whatever you want. You remember, like get a DUI or pass bogus checks, um, not obey not obey the law. And so um, this gave him, you know, the permission to act out on what he fantasized doing um, and learned how to do from his video games, shoot people. So um, the bottom line is that um, I believe that even Crumbly's parents t- turned him into a killing machine, and now they're throwing him under the bus. To save themselves. So thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website terroristtherapist.com and if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.